All right, Alexander, let's uh, do an update as to what is going on in Ukraine. Let's see. Odessa is, uh, is without electricity. Um, bad situation there for the people of Odessa. Not looking good. Um, what else? We have this Wagner story, if we want to touch upon it, where allegedly Ukraine uh, took out a Wagner headquarters, but I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you could get into it. I, I think the whole thing sounds very, very bogus. I mean, very bogus, but uh, you can talk about that. Uh, we have information in Solidar, I believe. We're getting reports of Ukraine retreat. Um, Bakhmut. Um, I, I believe I read that there was also, it seems, it hasn't been confirmed yet, but it seems like we're getting retreats in Bakhmut from the Ukrainians as well. But as as uh, forces retreat, it seems like Ukraine brings new reinforcements in there. It's, it's madness, but okay. And uh, what else? I think that's everything on the ground. I'm not sure if there's well, anything Well, it is, it is everything on, on the, the ground. ground but that, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, can I just start with Odessa? Because, of course, this is now becoming a real horror. Apparently, the place has been without electricity now for several days, and it doesn't seem as if there's any relief in sight. The shortages of water as well. People are trying to protest about this. Um, They're getting short shrift from the Ukrainian authorities when they do. I can't help but think what's happening in Odessa is what we're going to see across Ukraine. Well, of course, to some extent, we're already seeing it across Ukraine. But it's going to get worse and worse as the winter months uh, settle in, as the Russian missile and drone attacks continue. And there's every indication, by the way, that they are going to continue. And uh, nobody seems to be taking any steps to help the civilian population to evacuate them to Europe, or if not evacuate them to Europe. I read a long piece this morning in the Financial Times about how uh, the welcome for Ukrainian refugees in Europe is now turning cold, how people are starting to react against this flow of refugees from Ukraine. That was in the Financial Times. So if European governments don't want, you know, millions of refugees heading in their direction, well, they should be doing something. In other words, they should be trying to start negotiations going because there's no sign of that happening and no sign either of doing anything to try to evacuate people from Ukraine cities. Now, it's been explained to me that the reason Odessa has been particularly targeted is not because the Russians are trying to provoke an uprising in Odessa. It's that this is the area where an awful lot of the important uh, railway lines go through, that Ukrainians are trying to redeploy troops from this region, that they're also trying to send supplies from the West via the railway lines that would be affected by these strikes, and the fact that the Russians are able to disable the energy system means that those railway movements are being disrupted. But anyway, that's all I'm going to say about Odessa at the moment. The big story, as far as I can see, is Bachmann. Now, lots of always fog of war about what is happening in Bachmann. I've been doing a number of programmes on my channel about this procession of articles in the British media 
which is basically confirming that there is now a crisis for Ukraine in Bakhmut, that there are very, very heavy casualties, that the Ukrainians are suffering enormous casualties in Bakhmut. There's been more reports this morning. It's not always easy to assess fully what they mean. But I am now really, truly getting the sense that we are in the end game where Bakhmut is concerned. Yes, they are pulling out some troops from Bakhmut. Apparently the 93rd Brigade is now so bashed up in Bakhmut that they're gradually withdrawing it from Bakhmut. Probably they will try to send more troops in to replace it. But I get the sense that every unit that replaces another unit is less good than the unit it's replacing. In other words, that the quality of Ukrainian troops is slowly falling because the best troops are being killed or wounded in, these, in this terrible battle. And that overall, anyway, the situation is now becoming untenable. And it looks as if the whole situation in Bakhmut is about to crash. Now, just to say this again, I, I know there's been a concerted attempt over the last few weeks to pretend that what happens in Bakhmut isn't important, that Bakhmut is a small place, it has no strategic significance, you know, all that kind of thing that the, that the Ukrainians are saying, that the media is saying. I totally disagree. I think once Bakhmut falls, the current defence lines in the Donbass will collapse. The Ukrainian defence lines in the Donbass will collapse. They will be thrown back to trying to hold their positions in Kramatorsk and Slavyansk. That is the last line of defence in Donbass that Ukraine has in Donbass, and it doesn't look as strong as the current line. So I think if Bakhmut falls, and I think, as I said, we're in the end game now, I think we are starting to move towards the end game in Donbass as well. And that, to be very clear, is the big important battle that has been fought in this conflict in Ukraine. Far more people have died fighting in Donbass. Far more troops have been involved in the fighting in Donbass than anywhere else in Ukraine. Now, just to say, we've now had those two reports about you know, Ukrainian missile strikes on a barracks, it was called, in Melitopol, uh, 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 the Wagner headquarters in Lugansk. I've been giving some thought to this, and I've decided I don't believe a word of it. If uh, I've been reading that, you know, 200 Russian soldiers were killed in Melitopol, well, just take your mind back um, six weeks ago, we were talking about the fighting in Vugladar. There were reports circulating on the Russian internet about heavy losses that the Russians were suffering uh, in Pavlovka. We did a program about it. We discussed the fact that there were lots of reports about lots of Russian soldiers being killed in the fighting there. The governor of one of the regions that these troops came from actually contacted the defence ministry. The defence ministry published clarification. It turned out that far fewer soldiers were killed than had been initially reported, and the Battle of Pavlovka ended as a victory for the Russians. But the point is... The Russians 
when they did suffer losses, it was all over the media, all over the Russian media, it was all over the internet. It was something that was discussed and argued about on Russian channels and telegram channels. If anything like what the Ukrainians are claiming had actually happened in Melitopol or in Lugansk with these missile strikes, we would know about it. We would be hearing complaints and arguments and recriminations and criticisms about it from the Russian side. We're seeing nothing like that. And I have to say, I, my own clear view is because of that, I don't believe this story. It looks dodgy to me, as you said, dodgy what the Ukrainians are claiming and the Russians are just straightforwardly denying it. And I don't get any sense from any of this very argumentative community that exists, uh, uh, you know, Russian commentariat community about this war. I don't get any sense that any of them think that anything of any significance happened with these missile strikes at all. Yeah, I remember the Pavlivka instance. One day it was uh, the Russians were suffering horrendous losses, 300 uh, Marines or something like that were, were uh, killed in the fighting. Two days later, they had the, the town. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they took the town two days later. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it, it, yeah and, 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 story, and that was all... This whole story is... is exactly. And it all yeah. played out on the, Russian, on the Russian internet, on their Telegram channels. We all read all those reports. We got a lot of what, you know, the concerns about the hundreds of people who were killed from Russian channels. So, as I said, if there'd been anything at all like that happening either in Melitopol or Lugansk, we would have heard about it from the same kind of sources. And they're all absolutely silent on this, either silent or they're saying that these Ukrainian claims are nonsense. And I have to say, I believe that these Ukrainian claims are nonsense. Yeah, I see it as panic. I think yeah. there's just, a, just a, an absolute panic going on right now in... Uh, in the Ukraine military and also in the in the media, the collective West run Ukraine media, because they, they can't hide the losses anymore. No, no. They just and can't I, hide the losses. They're having a hard time doing it. They, before they were able to, and they were able to cover it up. And here's the key. They were able to cover up the the losses that the Ukraine military was suffering by covering it up with territorial uh, land victories like Kharkiv and Kherson, you know, empty victories. So they were able to to brush off all the all, all the losses of the Ukraine military by saying, "Look at all the the territory we're gaining. Look at all this territory. It's going from red to blue. You see the map? There it is. There it is. So you know, nothing else is. So no one's. You know, Ukraine military is not suffering. Don't worry about it. Look at the land we're getting. We're winning. They, they, they can't. Not now they can't. They don't have any more territory." That they can sit there and show and say, "Look at look at our advances and look at where we are." That's done. The Russians have uh, they've they've solidified their 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 lines. They've got the mobilization working. They're advancing, and now they can't hide the losses because they're just too many. I completely agree. By the way, on that topic and going directly in support of what you've just said, there's been an op-ed by Boris Johnson. Remember him in the Wall Street Journal. And if you read that op-ed carefully, it essentially makes the same point that you are making. Because what Johnson is saying is that unless 
we open the spigot. We send every conceivable weapon that we've got to Ukraine. Attackers, missiles, fighter jets, tanks, whatever. Unless we escalate, Ukraine is going to lose. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's essentially what Johnson is now saying. And of course, he's got particular reasons to be concerned if Ukraine does lose, because if Ukraine loses, well, what's left of his reputation? The one achievement he has as prime minister, you know, that he supported Ukraine, it goes up in smoke. But you're absolutely right. The media is showing clear signs of panic. You're starting to see articles. Again, I've discussed them in my channel. You're starting to see articles creeping out uh, um, in the media. I obviously principally follow the British media, but the American media is also having quite a few of these articles now, all of which cumulatively point to a sharply deteriorating situation for Ukraine. I mean, there's even been one just now in the New York Times about how in Sviatigorsk, one particular Ukraine, uh, Donbass town, most of the inhabitants are pro-Russian. I mean, you know, the kind of thing that the New York Times wasn't, wouldn't be been reporting a while back, but now they're saying it. And, you know, that we're getting all these reports about how weapons supplies are becoming depleted, how numbers of people are being killed, uh, the vast losses Ukraine is suffering. As you said, it can't be concealed anymore, and you can't really... Uh, spin it that, you know, Ukraine is nonetheless winning because they're making all these territorial gains. They're hitting against these U Russian fortifications. Their energy system is in collapse. Their casualty rate is off the scale. It's no longer possible to pretend that Ukraine is winning the war. Yeah, which is why you get all of the reports of, uh, of Ukraine somehow, some way, scoring some sort of victory by the end of the year in order to keep the unity of the uh, of the project ukraine member states intact and uh and many of the reports including from the times which talk about uh green lighting strikes inside of russia even though kirby has now kind of walked that back a little bit but still the reports are there the the uh the, the narrative of, of Ukraine being able to hit inside of Russia and that this should be some sort of, uh, of, of fear for the Putin government. And, uh, and, and, and this type of, type of framing of the situation, I think, is just it's, it's kind of the last gasp before the, the, the final collapse. I agree. Absolutely. Now, how long that collapse will take is not something I get to, we're, we're in a position to say, I think. But I agree. I, I think that virtually everybody now can see that the writing is on the wall. I think even people in Kiev, the, the leadership there, and understand that, actually. And I think that they're probably now working out what they can do to bail out as well. Suitcases full of money and, and get out, mm. right? Absolutely, exactly. <laughs> you, know, um, um, you know, make his money now because you know, in a while, soon enough, I'll be out. And I think this is exactly what's going on. But of course, you've got to keep the money going. So you talk about uh, Ukraine fighting back, and you know, you have missile strikes deep into Russia with those, uh, you know, Strige missiles that are converted into cruise missiles things of that kind. And we'll be seeing more of this. And 
going back to those reports about the Pentagon greenlighting long-range strikes deep into Russia, it's important to say this, and I mean, we've said this many times, there's clearly some kind of, you know, feud, battle going on in Washington. There are those people who I suspect are in the uniformed military in the US who really don't want the situation to escalate because they know how dangerous it potentially could get. And they do not want to see long-range missile strikes by Ukraine deep into Russia. And if they happen, they want to make it absolutely clear that the United States is not involved in those missile strikes, that it's Ukraine acting by itself. And then there's the others, the hardliners in the National Security Council, um, the State Department, and I'm sorry to say the White House staff, who, of course, want to escalate all the way. Because like Boris Johnson, they can't face the prospect of the collapse of their most important foreign policy project. I mean, the whole grand chessboard that Brzezinski was talking about is basically flipped over if Ukraine falls. And that's something that they, that they don't want to see. And as you correctly said, they're to some extent panicking, but they will try undoubtedly to escalate as Johnson is trying to do, rather than to allow these events to play out. So we have the writing on the wall. I mean, we've been saying this for a while. Um, Ukraine is gradually going down. Its army is being very badly affected, to put it mildly, it's having very heavy losses. But the risk that the West will try to, that these hardliners will try to escalate to try to reverse this, to try to stop this trend, it is very, very real. They were able, back in the summer, you know, they poured in weapons, they got Ukraine to mobilise large numbers of troops. They were able to prolong the war that way for a couple of weeks. The momentum of that has now run its course. Unfortunately, we're dealing with the kind of people who will try somehow, some way, to come up with something else. And whether they will and what that will be, I don't know. But for the moment, it's clear what the direction of travel is. Yeah. All right. Um, EU sanctions number nine, sanctions package number nine. Oh, yeah. Any yeah. thoughts before yeah. we sign off? Some Russians are probably now laughing. I mean, as I understand it, these sanctions, sanctions package number nine, will be principally targeted as individuals, which is an admission that all the big sectoral sanctions are now exhausted. And uh, what we were talking about on the Jimmy Dore program, by the way, about the Russians now selling their oil above the $60 price cap in the Far Eastern markets is now confirmed. Apparently, the Russian crude mix, which is being sold in the Far East markets, is selling at well over $60. Euro's crude, the, the mix that used to be sold to Europe, is selling at significantly less than that. But then, of course, buyers for that particular crude mix are probably falling as Russia redirects its oil exports eastwards. All right, we'll leave it there. The Duran.locals.com and go to the Duran shop, 10% off. Use the code good day. And we are also on Rockfin as well. Take care.